Now the thing I like about the Psalms is that they're rooted in real life experience. They weren't tapped out on some Iron Age word processor, they were hammered out on the anvil of experience. And the psalmists weren't afraid or ashamed to express their doubts and their anxieties and their concerns in very honest terms. And in fact, I think whatever situation you're facing, whatever circumstance of life you might be going through, somewhere in the Psalms, you'll find someone who's had a similar experience and found some degree of resolution in it. So we can come to the Psalms and we can find help, comfort and consolation in doing so. There's a kind of rugged, resolute determination to trust God whatever the circumstances might be like. And I wanted us this uh, particular occasion to look at Psalm uh, 73. It's one of my favourite psalms. It uh, claims to be a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph, as we know, was the chief musician and worship leader for King David. And Asaph starts off the psalm in very positive terms, as you would expect. He says, God is indeed good to Israel, to those who have pure hearts. God is indeed good to Israel, to those who have pure hearts. Well, of course, Asaph, we would expect that from you. You're the worship leader, and we know that worship leaders are always full of faith and buoyant and encouraging faith in the congregation. So we're not surprised, Asaph, with this uh, very positive statement at the beginning of this hymn. Unfortunately, it doesn't last beyond verse 1 because in verse 2 uh, Asaph says I had nearly lost confidence because my faith had almost gone what Asaph really what happened you shouldn't be feeling like this chief musician and worship leader what's happened and Asaph goes on to explain he said I got jealous of the proud when I saw that things go well for the wicked now, let's be honest here, shall we? Who hasn't felt like that or been tempted to feel like that? If it can happen to a spiritual leader like Asaph, it can happen to any one of us. To feel jealous of the wicked. Why am I sick when I don't drink, don't smoke, don't stay out late at nights, exercise regularly, I don't sleep around? And my neighbour just down the road, he does all of those things and seems as fit as a fiddle. Doesn't make sense. And why does he get promoted at work? When he comes in late, goes home early, doesn't do much in between, and fiddles his expenses to boot. And then I get passed over to promotion. And why is my business going down the tubes? When I always pay my creditors on time, always make sure that I give the customer the very best service possible. I don't cut any corners. I observe all of the regulations. Yet mine is the business that is going down the tube at the moment. I, I don't get it. And then look at this dear woman. She's been waiting for Mr. Wright to come along. But she's been saving herself. But the months have gone into years and the years have gone by and while all her contemporaries have got married she's still 
waiting and hoping and praying for Mr. Wright. And then look at this dear wife, desperate for a child, crying out to God, God, give me children or I die. And then around her are these slips of girls getting pregnant at the trip of her hat. And then seemingly, just as readily, prepared to abort the baby that she would dearly have loved to have. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Have you ever felt those kinds of feelings? I guess we've all had that experience of looking at others and thinking, well, I've got a Heavenly Father who loves and cares for and provides for me, but they don't seem to be do, doing too badly. In many ways, a lot badly, a lot better rather than I am. So these are the kinds of questions that troubled Asaph. I was jealous of the proud when I saw that things go well for the wicked. And then there were two things that made it even worse. Here's the first thing, that the wicked blasphemed the Lord. Evidently it wasn't bad enough that they were just plain wicked, violent, immoral, dishonest, scornful, mocking, in all of these kinds of things. That would be bad enough as it was, but they spoke evil of the God of heaven. And Asaph is thinking, how can they get away with this? They say, God will not know, the Most High will not find out. They mock and ridicule holy things. They despise and ignore God's people. They dismiss God's word. They use the Lord's name as a swear word. And it seems that God does nothing about it. That was the first thing that was a problem that made it even worse and more difficult for Asaph to understand. Here's the second thing. When God's people turn to the wicked for help. Verse 10. Even God's people turn to them and eagerly believe whatever they say. I love the way the message puts it. They're full of hot air, loud mouths disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Asaph certainly can't. That, that the people of God should go to the people of the world and go to them for advice and listen to what they say. He, he really can't get his head around it. And there are people of God whom he knows who, who are saying, well, Everybody's doing it nowadays and times have changed and you have to keep up with the times and maybe these things we thought were wrong, they're not really so bad. And the Christian girl who's having a job finding a Christian boyfriend thinks, well, it can't be anything wrong really with going out with a non-Christian, can there? And then the Christian boy thinks, well, you know, if we love each other, if we're really committed to one another, what's really wrong with having sex? We may not be married yet, but but we really love each other. God wouldn't want us to be unhappy. They listen to the wicked and even believe what they say. So these are the kinds of things that are troubling Asaph. 
And the Christian businessman who says, I, I think I've got to protect my business. You know, I, I know what I ought to be doing and I know how the business ought to run, but this is a dog-eat-dog -dog world out here. And I've got to protect my corner. And if it means cutting some corners here or there, going a little bit soft on health and safety issues, uh, not necessarily declaring everything on my tax returns. I've I just got to do it to protect the business. Can't really be that wrong. And in all of these things, as Asaph is looking around and seeing how the wicked are prospering and the godly seeming to follow their example, he says, Is it for nothing then that I have kept myself pure and have not committed sin? That's verse 13. What's the point? It doesn't work. It certainly doesn't pay. What reward is there for the righteous? Now, actually, Asaph didn't say these things. Everything in verses 2 to 14 is Asaph expressing what he'd been thinking, but never actually vocalised. Because this is what he says in verse 15. This is the kind of turning point in the psalm. If I had said such things, I would not be acting as one of your people. So Asaph is in conflict here. He feels these things. He knows what he would say if he gave vent to his feelings, but he knows it's not right to do so. He knows it would be futile, uh, worth, worthless and ungodly to express these kinds of things, not expressing any real faith or confidence in God and yet the evidence of his eyes is hard to argue with. So how does he resolve the issue? Well in verse 16 he says I tried to think this problem through but it was too difficult for me couldn't make any sense of it but somehow he resolves things because at the end of the psalm verse 28 he says as for me how wonderful to be near God to find protection with the Sovereign Lord and proclaim all that he has done. What, what made the change from finding it all too difficult to understand or to get his head round to having this wonderful expression of faith and confidence of God? How was it that this psalm has the, this, these two bookends at the beginning? How God is good to Israel, to those who have a pure heart and at the end how wonderful that God is close by. So, with all the, the mess and the confusion and the complaint in the beginning, or rather the middle, how does he get to this at the end? Well, it's because he discovered five insights that helped him to get things into focus. Would you like to know what those five insights are? I hope that was a yes, because I'm going to tell you anyway. So here's the first uh, thing. He discovered a godly perspective. He said, when I went into your temple, then I understood. Actually, it shouldn't be translated temple because remember this is Asaph, if he indeed wrote it. He was King David's chief musician and worship leader and the temple wasn't yet built. So it would better be translated, I went into your sanctuary and then I understood. He went to gather together in the company of God's people to seek the face of the Lord, to worship and hear what God might have to say to him. 
and it was there that he got things into perspective. You know, that's why Hebrews 10.25 says, Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as some are doing, but instead let us encourage one another all the more, especially as you see the day approaching. So I know you during a situation like lockdown, it's not possible to physically gather together, but that's the ideal, to be with those of like mind when uh, six days of the week we're people, with people mostly who don't have any faith or trust in God, who have an entirely different value system. And then we come together on a Sunday with people of like mind. We worship God together. We seek his face. We learn from his word. And uh, things fall back into place. And our perspective is renewed. And we see things much more clearly. There's another way in which it's good to be together and to worship God in the way that I, I'm describing because it helps us to get the eternal perspective. You see, this life we have here on earth is just a, a moment in time, just a click of the fingers like that compared to the eternity that stretches out before us, beyond our gaze. But this little moment in time is important because it's here that we prepare for eternity. This is where we get ready for eternal, our eternal home, even as Jesus is getting it ready for us. So we keep our eyes on the prize. Here we have no continuing city, but we're seeking one to come. Perspective. I love the story of a missionary who was returning after many years service on the mission field returning really for a kind of retirement to his home in the United States. So his ship arrives in the harbour at New York and as it's berthing at the quayside there's a vast crowd of people on the quayside. There's a brass band playing. There are balloons and streamers flying around. And the missionary is thinking, this is amazing. I never expected a welcome like this. And then one of the other passengers said to him, well, actually it's the president. He's been away abroad on a, a mission that's gone very successfully and this is his welcoming party. Okay, so the missionary picks up his bags, walks down the gangplank, sets them down on the quayside and looks around to see who's there to welcome him home. No one. There's no one, not a single soul to welcome him. And he begins to have a little bit of a pity party. And he says, Lord, Lord, I've spent the best years of my life serving you on the mission field. And now I'm coming home and there's nobody to welcome me. And then the missionary heard a still small voice say, Son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. So... Friend, when you're complaining sometimes about this life here on earth and wondering what's, what it's all about, just remember you're not home yet. This isn't your home. You're just a passing through. There's joy and glory to come. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have trouble. Get used to it. The world will make you suffer. Get used to it. But cheer up because I've overcome the world and I'm preparing something else, something better for you in the days to come. So a godly perspective, that's the first uh, thing. Here's the second thing that 
uh, Asaph realised. It was about a day of reckoning, a day of reckoning. He understood what will happen to the wicked. You will put them in slippery places and make them fall to destruction. They're instantly destroyed. They go down to a horrible end. So, the wicked are in for a hard time. Things are not going to go well for the wicked. There's destruction coming. And of course, when uh, John had his revelation in chapter 20, he saw this in his mind's eye. When he said, Then I saw a great white throne and the one who sits on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and were seen no more. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. Books were opened. And then another book was opened, the book of the living. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Then the sea gave up its dead, death and the world of the dead also gave up the dead they held and all were judged according to what they had done. And then death and the world of the dead were thrown into the lake of fire. And this lake of fire is the second death. Those who did not have their name written in the book of the living were thrown into the lake of fire. Now it often seems as if the ungodly get away with it all in this life, doesn't it? And yet it's true that they very often do suffer the consequences of their foolish and selfish choices in this life. But that doesn't absolve them or release them from the fact that there is a final, ultimate eternal judgment coming and when you keep that in your mind if you have that perspective then it puts the seeming injustices of this earth into their rightful context a day of reckoning that's uh, number two here's number three God's abiding presence God's abiding presence verse 23 Yet I always stay close to you and you hold me by the hand. That's verse 23 and then verse 28 we've already referred to. As for me, how wonderful to be near God to find protection with the Sovereign Lord. For Asaph, God's presence made all the difference. Think of it like a pair of scales for the moment. On the one hand you've got all the stuff that the godly enjoy and experience. Wealth. Fame, comfort, health, strength, popularity, success, acclaim, envy of others towards them. All of those things on one side of the scales. Then on the other side, for the godly, God's abiding presence. No contest is there really. Which do you want? You can have all that stuff if you want. But as for me... I'm choosing God's abiding presence and you can keep all the other stuff. If some money comes my way, praise the Lord. If not, I'm going to be content anyway. And looking back on my life, I know that God has been so faithful and blessed me beyond my imagination or deserving. But best of all, God is with us. God's abiding presence. Do you know that? Are you confident in that? Friend, if you know and love the Lord Jesus, that's the truth. I don't know if you know the story about David Livingstone, the great 
Scottish missionary explorer. He'd come back to Edinburgh for a season and he was speaking to some university students. His left arm hung limply by his side where it had been mauled by a lion. His face was drawn and haggard as he talked about the privations he'd endured. And then a student at the back of the room put up his hand and said, Dr Livingstone, Dr Livingstone, all that you went through, what was it that kept you going? Livingstone paused for a moment and thought, and then he said, it was Jesus' words to his disciples when he gave them the Great Commission, where he said, I will be with you always, even to the close of the age. And as the writer to the Hebrews puts it, the Lord has said, I will never leave you, I will never abandon you, therefore we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? God's abiding presence. Hallelujah. It's great, isn't it, to know these things. That's number three. What's number four? Let's see, shall we? You know, no matter what may be going around on around us, whatever we might be going through, Whatever we might think of our circumstances, God is with us. And then the fourth wonderful fact is the fact of divine guidance. Verse 24. You guide me with your instruction and at the end you will receive me with honour. You see, we're not victims of circumstance groping around in the darkness of a meaningless world. Day by day, we can be confident not only of God's abiding presence with us, but of his guidance, step by step, until we come to the end of our journey and reach our final destination. Now, the psalmist in Psalm 48 said, This God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide even to the end. Keep right on to the end of the world, or the end of the road, I should say, because Jesus is with us. So if you're uncertain about the future, feeling confused about what's going on, seeing everything seemingly going fine for everybody else, just remember this fact. The Lord has promised to guide you. Another psalm that talks about God's guidance, which I think is a really beautiful psalm 32, I think it is. Here it is. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle. Don't be like a dumb mule. As long as you're open to God, submissive to him, seeking to follow his will and his ways, then God is committed to guiding you with his eye upon you leading you in a plain path right on to your final destination, the fact of divine guidance. Our final insight, this is number five, number five, and it's this, supernatural strength. Supernatural strength. Verse 26, my mind and my body may grow weak, but God is my strength. He is all I ever need. Okay, so mentally, and physically, I may feel pretty weak right now. I haven't got the strength and health and energy that I had as a 20-year-old. But God 
is my strength. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we may be wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day after day, even as we get closer to glory. And I close with perhaps my favourite scripture from the Old Testament. It's from Isaiah 40 verse 31. I have no doubt that for most of you it's a very familiar verse. And it says this. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagle. That's the miraculous. They shall run and not grow weary. That's the strenuous. And they shall walk and not faint. That's the tedious. So whatever season you're in at the moment, whether it might be a season where you're seeking to, to do what is miraculous, or whether it's a time of strenuous, energy-sapping exercise, or whether it's the tedious, mundane, seemingly boring matters of day-to-day, -day, seeking to live a godly life, and follow God's will for your life in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whichever it is of those things, and it of course will be different at different seasons, if you wait upon the Lord, your strength will be renewed. So just a quick re recap then of how Asaph resolved this issue of why do things go so well for the wicked, and what's it all about. These were the five insights that God gave to Asaph. Let me remind you of them. Number one, he got a godly perspective when he went into the sanctuary, when he gathered with God's people, praying, worshipping, learning from God's word, then he kind of got things into uh, to focus, into perspective again. Second thing, he recognises a day of reckoning coming, when every wrong will be righted, righted and the ungodly will get their just desserts. They will get what they chose for eternity. God's abiding presence, who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Never alone. No, never alone. He's promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. Number four, divine guidance. We never need to be afraid or worried about tomorrow because God has promised to lead us as we are submissive to him and walk in his ways. And then finally, there's a promise of our strength being renewed for the journey. Whatever's happening to us, he'll give us the grace and the strength to deal with it as we wait on him. So God bless you, my friends. Thank you for listening so carefully. I look forward to the next time we can share together in Jesus' name. Amen.